CEOs Speak is an exclusive BitBeam podcast series featuring interviews of hundreds of skilled and talented CEOs who share their strategies for leading some of the country's most successful companies. Join Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, as he uncovers the heart and soul of today's business leaders. We are here today with uh, Joseph Hughes of GPS Biz- GPS Business, correct? Business GPS. Business GPS, I apologize. <laughs> and I'll explain in a moment why I mixed that up. Um, and you're a turnaround company that sold thousands of companies, uh, survived many almost disasters. You pulled them out of many. Uh, yeah, speaking of disasters, you're right. You're right. Uh, it, it must be a very fascinating uplifting experience to to see that happen. But I'd like to start from the very beginning. And the reason why is because I believe that the company doesn't make the CEO, the CEO makes the company. So we need to know who the CEO is. So going back in the interview, you mentioned that you're already a businessman at the age of 14. You already had a business. Age of of 19. Well, you started a business at 19, but at 14 you were doing some work. So was this in your blood from your family? Are your family entrepreneurs, your father? That's a really, Charlie, that's a really good question. My father's side of the family, I guess my mother's too, but my father's side of the family, they were blue-collar workers uh, up in New England, Boston, New Hampshire, that area. Didn't grow up with much. My grandfather, my father would tell me stories of his father, never around. Because he worked three jobs. And, uh, so that was always somewhat in my blood. That's a really good point. And then when I was 14, I was, uh, struggling a little bit with who I was, my own insecurity. And once I started working, I felt so much better. I felt better about myself. That productivity really filled me inside. And so then I, I wanted more of it. So it's like you had a purpose. So that's interesting because at 14, most boys want to be like I wanted to be first a center fielder, and yeah, then, right. you know, and then and then a center for the Lakers. I only listen about people on that, <laughs> and I hope shot either the which I didn't have. Well, uh, that's the thing. By 14, I realized I couldn't be the center fielder and I couldn't play for the Lakers. So then it evolved, but let's take from 14 to 19. Were you always working and finding things to do? I remember spending my summer, so I had to pay my way through college. So I remember spending my summers working three jobs, um, 80, 90 hours a week, easy. And, uh, yeah, I was always, I was always seeking it out. And honestly, Charlie, I was happy. And I realized my friends, weren't doing the same thing, but I felt like I was the normal one because I'm thinking to myself, doesn't everybody want to feel this productive? Doesn't everybody want to get this happiness? You know, but I was the odd man out. It turned out. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, that, that to me is a, a definitive aspect of you that I, I saw in myself in a similar fashion, and it says something about who we are. When I, I remember in camp, I was lying in bed during the break, writing the play. I was writing since I was a kid. And I remember saying to myself, boy, I must really like writing if I'm not out catching balls, you know? Right, <laughs> I mean, right, right. Sports, and yet I'm sitting there. So that defines really the essence of who you are, the, the, this appreciation for work. The reality that you work and it doesn't come to you, but also the, the, and the commitment to it, but at the same time, the appreciation and the joy of it. I mean, that's a very, most people maybe later in their lives find that balance. You know, they go to work because they have to go to work and maybe if they're lucky, they find a job that they really like. Yes. And, and, but quite often they don't. I, I always say that's what, uh, Thoreau meant. When he said most men live lives of quiet desperation, that they go to yeah. work and not really yeah. happy. So you you found that, and then in nineteen you started the business, and you were going smoothly, and then suddenly two oh eight came along, and you were hit. Yeah, yeah. I went through 
a couple of years there of three or four years where I could do no wrong. Five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. Thinking, wow, okay, I finally figured it out. And oh eight came along, and that's the thing about business. Business is always educating you, giving you lessons. And oh eight, oh nine hit, and I thought, as prepared as I thought I was, I wasn't. Um, and so I had to, and I had fear, and I had stress, and I had, I was unsure of who I was. Oh my gosh, am I making bad decisions now? What is, does that mean my next decision is going to be a bad decision? So then I became gun shy. Undermines your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that my clients are going through right now, I live. And so, um, at that time, I called my attorney. I had done everything I thought I could do. I called my attorney. Hey, pay me a retainer and I'll, you know, take care of your lawsuit. I called my CFO, you know, uh, outside accounting firm and said, Hey, sure, pay me some money and I'll take a look at your numbers. And ultimately neither of them had any solution beyond what I already knew available. So that, uh, that, that's interesting because I, I want to stop here for a moment. Sure. Because I want to point to something that, and the reason why I apologize is so GPS business versus business GPS, because I write marketing articles that are published on East Coast. And one of the articles I wrote, uh, my background is advertising, major Madison Avenue agency. Uh, so I'm very familiar with marketing and, you know, uh, at a very deep level. And one of the articles I wrote was, does your business have a GPS? And the concept was that if you don't have a vision and you don't know where you're going, you're going to stumble. And I, yeah. I, I showed a lot of the mission statements of Walmart and Patagonia that as many years as they've been in business, they you totally to that vision. They always stayed. Bear with me for a second because I want to tell you a story that's very relevant to what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I came across this this story and it just blew my mind. I founded uh, uh, this book in an old uh, bookstore, you know, and uh, an old book, and it, uh, the subject seemed interesting. It was about a Polish soldier, true story, uh, officer, and at the beginning of World War II, when they were conquered by the Germans, he lived near the Russian border, and he was given, and he had to decide: does he want to live under German control? or go into Russia and live under Russian control. And he decided he was going to go into Russia. So he went, he went over the border, he went into Russia, he was here for a short time, and he was arrested by the NKVD as a spy. And those days when they arrested a spy, it was real serious. You know, it was everything you ever heard about. They put you in the, in the basement and they do what they do to get you to sign that you're a spy. And he refused. He was in there for six months, but he refused to sign that he was a spy because he wasn't. Irrespective, they put him on trial and they gave him 25 years in Siberia. Siberia is a two week on a train with 5,000 prisoners and two weeks slogging through the snow and they get to this prison. He's there a short time and he's saying, what's my future? I'm 25 years old. My only choice is maybe if I'm lucky, I'll survive. I'll come out when I'm 50 and life is all over. I have to escape. Meanwhile, something happened that got him friendly with the commandment, the Russian commandment, and he was often invited into the home, and he became friendly with the commandment and, and the commander and the, and the wife, simply because they were educated, but they were also in the gulag, so to speak, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. But, so they found somebody they could talk to. One time, the wife's there alone, and she says to him, uh, are you thinking of escape? And, of course, he's not going to tell her. Yeah, of course. This goes on for a while, but he felt it was an empathy. And then finally he opened up. She asked him, which way do you want to escape? What direction? He told her. She said, you can't go that way because there are too many people. You're going to be found without papers. You'll be back here again. You have to go the other direction. She told him, how are you going to do it? I'm going to do it alone. You'll never survive. You have to find other people to go with you. She put together six people. She prepared food for them. She prepared a sack to carry the food. And she said the only thing that she asked is they should escape when the husband was back in Moscow. Every so often he had to go to Moscow and say he won't be blamed. That's what they did. They escaped. They found along the way a Polish girl, 16 years old, who came with them. 
they traveled, and this is the heart of why, what I'm talking about. They traveled. They had to get Tehran. They wanted to get as far as possible from any Russian control. They went through the Gobi Desert. They went through mountains. They went through snow and sleet blizzards. They went days without food. They went 4,000 miles to get to Iran by foot. Along the way, they would get lost, and local people would help them. Only four out of the seven survived. He was mm-hmm. one of them. And I said, that's a perfect analogy for business. <laughs> business is ups and downs, and you never know what's coming. And even a mother, as much as you assume or believe, it's going to come at you with a curve that you're not ready for. But if you have a clear vision of where you're going, you know what you're trying to accomplish. you find a solution. But if you don't have a vision of where you're going, you go off in this direction, you get lost in that direction, you get curtailed, you you forgot your purpose, just you jump to some quick solution that's not necessarily a solution. Do you feel that th- this parable is, is applicable from your viewpoint or what you've seen? Sure. And and maybe to add to that, sure. I do think business is always giving you education. Then as you go, and if you're successful in second grade, you get to third grade, the problems get more complicated as the business grows. There's more competition, et cetera. One of the, one of the lessons that I had out of that downturn in 08, 09 is thinking that at some point it gets easier. And that's a false sense of confidence. It's, you have to go into it with the same, for me, the same blue collar mentality every day. And you're always assessing the risks. You're always trying to analyze the business. You've got to be committed and dedicated to it every day. And not everybody is. But that's what I was going to ask you. And, and, and also, you've dealt with thousands of companies and business owners of probably many different levels from big corporations to small businesses. Is there a trait that you see when the person walks into your office and you talk to them and after a while, you sort of evaluate your mind and say, he will make it or he won't make it because you see that the characteristic that it takes to survive and, and, and to prosper, he lacks or he has. Is there something that you see that defines? You know, I, uh, the answer is yes. And I try in general to always look at things simply because you can see a problem as puzzle with a thousand pieces all scattered on the table. But if you look at some of the simple components, you can see how to put it together. What I have found is fear and lack of confidence are the number one issue. Businesses get to the point, you know, it's such a unique experience, Charlie, having worked with 2,000 companies. It's a unique, it's a unique experience. I've got uh, a perspective on, okay, on these 2,000 companies, how do they get here and how can we get them moving forward again? They got here by poor financial management. Always. They're overconfident. They, they're focused on sales and the operations and never focused on the money or developing the accounting office and the CFO and developing their own education. But then once they get to this train wreck, accident where you're trying to help them out of the car and get them to the hospital and, and get them healthy again, fear sets in and lack of confidence sets in. Same thing that I had in 08 and 09. And so I'm part of what I do is give them logical answers to how to, here's your prescription. Here's how we're going to get you healthy. Here are the 25 steps. Do it this week. Call me back. But the probably the more important part is I'm trying to instill confidence with that person again. Say fear is your enemy. Fear, if you're acting out of fear in your life, odds are you are making the wrong decision. Think about and I thought everybody think about that. For my life, that's true. When I act out of fear, I should be doing the opposite of what my brain's trying to tell me to do. So anyways, long-winded answer. You leap forward to one of the questions I was going to ask later, that in a sense, beyond being a business guy, you're a counselor. You have to Absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes I wonder, what's more about, 
I'm trying to analyze it myself. Right. What's more valuable to the client? Sometimes I feel more counselor, less business analyst. Sometimes more business right. analyst, less counselor. Right. So one of the questions I'm going to ask, for what, I, what I want to ask both together, is what keeps you up at night. But mm-hmm. on top of that, what keeps you up, up at night is the problems of a thousand different businesses. So you really stay up at night. Do you ever get any sleep? You know what I've been doing? I say what I've been doing because this is what my doctor recommended because this stuff, it, um, these problems, these people, they attach to you emotionally. And, and, I, and I find myself sometimes carrying the stress. And so what I've been trying to do, my doctor said, hey, your blood pressure is getting a little high. What's going on lately? And I'm a relatively fit guy. I eat relatively healthy. So what I've been doing every night is I've been getting on uh, my Peloton bike. And I ride casual, a casual, slow ride, 30, 45 minutes just to decompress and then start the day again. It's, you know, it's the um, – Calls, it's the calls. I leave my phone on till about 11 o'clock at night, 11.30, and it's the calls that come in at 10.30 or 11, the texts that come in that, you know. That's very hard because night is a time when fears take hold. Night is a, just uh, like nature. Exactly. And therefore, if you end the night with it, it just sort of crawls around your mind and it doesn't let you sleep. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll just share my own experience in, in regarding your biking because I also, and I recommend this to many people similar to what you said, is that unfortunately I lost my wife and I had young children, which I, and I raised them. And I was going to, fortunately, I was encouraged that I went to a grief group, brilliant lady, and she kept telling us that we have to take care of ourselves. And of course we all said, take care of ourselves, we have to take care of the kids, or it's time to take care of ourselves between work and take care of the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one day I said, you know, she's right. If I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of the kids. Yeah. I was working in an ad agency, and every day that I left, I made sure that I went to a cafe with a book that I wanted to read, and I gave myself 15, 20 minutes of space with a cup of coffee and got lost in the book. And by the time I got home, I was a new person. Yeah. It was great for the kids and so on. You need that space for yourself. You can't just clobber yourself with all the the, the weight of the world. It, you don't progress. People think they progress that way. They don't progress that way. As you said, they, 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 fall, they fall back. So let me ask you, and, and you have 208 and you had a difficult time. You come out of it. You saw that the, the CPA, the accountant, whatever, could not help you. And, and, and uh, you decided that when you get out of it, you're going to go ahead and, and help people. But what gave you the wherewithal, the knowledge, expertise, the ability to go shoulder somebody else's uh, situation, his problems? Well, I ended up learning along the way in 08 and 09 what was possible. And it was almost out of desperation. I had creditors. I couldn't pay them. Uh, how do I get them to work? How do I get them to fit within my budget? How do I, where do I prioritize myself, and my money and my time? Um, and so I learned a lot of things along the way. I made it out the other end, and I was able to look back on it again, thinking of it like an education. I think, wow, I just got educated, and I thought I was a smart guy. I thought I knew what I was doing. I had had success up until that point for almost 20 years, and so I said to myself, obviously, my recovery didn't take place overnight. I had to rebuild my business, but I said to myself at that time, the education that I got education that most people are missing. We, we teach people in business, um, here's how you write an email. Here's how you communicate. Here's how you build. Here's how you look for better people. We, we educate business owners on building their business. So let me say, yeah, a, a CEO, we, I always say, a CEO wears many hats. He's in charge of operations, he's in charge of the finance, he's in charge of teamwork, employee hiring, and so on. Yes. Did you feel you had the skill to cover all those realms of the business, or that you focused primarily on one area of the business? I felt like I had a lot of that expertise already, and that was helpful in 
my success up until that point. I'm one of the things for me that I've learned is, is what you hope is what you want for your kid. We were talking about a little bit earlier. Well, if you have a job you love, you never work a day in your life. And for me, because of what we talked about earlier in terms of my feeling satisfaction and happiness out of work, I was a sponge. So I was constantly learning how to hire people, how to build infrastructure, how to do all these different pieces of business. But I never had the information and the experience that taught me this is what happens when the chips are down. It's a completely different skill set and like nothing you've experienced. It's not like five degrees off or 10 degrees off. It's way off. And so anyways, that was, that was a big piece for me to learn. You know, it's interesting. You're bringing up a very interesting point that in, in deep in the recess of my mind, it's there and you're bringing it out. And that is, I, I, I also, I, I, I read a tremendous amount of books on marketing uh, on, and, and business and things like that. I'm curious. I want to know. I want to learn and get insights. And literally, you can't even walk in one of my rooms. It's just loaded with books. But at the same time, I sometimes look at the author and say, it's very nice theoretical. And it's nice that you are cogent and verbal and you can articulate the theory. But have you ever really been there in the trenches? And mm-hmm. see what works, what doesn't work. I'll give you an example. When I lived in LA, so I was involved, uh, I worked in advertising, but of course as any writer you were dealing with, uh, with, uh, TV script writing, etc. And I decided I wanted to take a brush up course. I went to UCLA Extension at night. I don't remember it was literally in the middle of the first class, or it was, I didn't come back for the second class. But when the lecturer started talking, the first thing I said to myself, he's never done it. He may know the book, and he may be able to tell you, but it's clear to me that he never did it, and I have nothing to learn from him. If you haven't been there, it's a whole different feeling for it. You know, it's like in Vietnam, when you read about that you had to survive a certain period so you could tell somebody else what you need to do. Whatever you learn in training is not going to get you to survive. If you're fortunate enough to survive, you know what to do. It, it's being there that trains you. It's not knowledge that alone. It's the reality of it. I couldn't agree more. So in today's COVID environment, I used to, I used to spend four days a week traveling to meet clients. Sit down across the table from them. My name is Joe. I, I'm, I'm trying to understand your business better, and I'm trying to make a connection between right. the two of us. Trust and faith. I'm counting on you. You're counting on me. You go run the business. Let me put the fires out. And in three months or six months, we'll wake up to a much better situation. In today's environment, I can't do that. But to come back to your point, the foundation, because I'm working on contingency. I need you to run the business. I need you to have confidence. I need to have a connection with that person. And that person is looking for what you just said, which is, I been there? Has he done it? Do I have faith in him? Do I have belief in him? Especially when they're scared and they're antsy or uh, skittish, maybe. Um, my ability to convey to them, I've been there. I've done it. And I've come back and I've risen from the ashes, right? And I have uh, grown from the experience to be able to help you. So that's, yeah, that's the foundation of everything. If I was billing by the hour, I'd give you some wonder, maybe... Uh, I give you some wonderful uh, textbook uh, statements and five things you should be doing and feel like I've helped you, but really I haven't. I, uh, you're touching on something also that that uh, is a very current issue, and I've taken, I think, as soon as stands to you, I, I, some of the conversations I've had with different CEOs, uh, the question of the new normal, and everybody touts the new normal as being a virtual workplace. And I say, I don't see that staying. I said, after, after the period, we're going to go. I said, we're not turning into uh, hermits because of COVID. We're not going to hunker down and, and isolate ourselves. They said, first of all, we need social intercourse in general. We need people yes. around us. Yes. But right. to the point that you that you said, I said, there's a world of difference. 
having even a business meeting face to face, where you get the nuances, where you get the the the, the expression, where you see the body language, where you uh, developing a, a relationship, a closeness, yeah. it, it transcends just the business information. Zoom doesn't allow that. I mean, Zoom is an excellent tool, and and certainly uh, uh, the timing couldn't have, thank God, couldn't have been better. But uh, in terms of that interpersonal relationship, it's much more difficult. There's that wall, you know, like in theater, they call it the fourth wall. Here it's here is the wall of the screen that you're just not in the yes. intimate relationship uh, moment with that person where it breaks through. Right. I could agree more. Even before COVID, again, especially because of the seriousness of the situation in which we're helping someone. It's, you know, it's critical for their family. And because we're doing on contingency, I, I could tell you some stories about flying to from here to here to here to drive and get in a car, drive three hours, have a two hour meeting, turn around and do it all coming back. And it was all worth it. And I have staff that would ask me or my family would ask me, why are you doing that? Just pick up the phone and call. I go, you don't understand the connection that is made with that person. I'll tell you a remarkable story that I heard at a funeral of, of a great rabbi. It was a, a former student of his had a child who was having a very serious operation. Uh, the rabbi was in Philadelphia and the child was in Silver Springs, Maryland, about a four-hour trip. And the student called up the rabbi asked him to speak to the doctor. The doctor was not sure of which way to do the operation. Uh, they were discussing. He said, maybe speak to the doctor and you could come to a conclusion. The next day, the father called the doctor, and the doctor says, "Regards from your from your rabbi." So he called the rabbi and said, "You were there. I thought that you were going to call. I didn't expect you an eight-hour trip back and forth, and the time spent there a full day, and you're so busy. I just thought you were going to get on the phone." The rabbi said simply, "I had to see it in his face. I had to see what he really believed in. The words on the phone wouldn't tell me. I yes, needed to see yes. what, let it register what he really felt about the right course of the director. And I thought it was such a profound insight in, in finding the truth. And, 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 and like we are saying, face to face is, there's nothing that replaces that. So COVID has impacted a lot of, obviously, <laughs> retail. And I've had CEOs who have franchises, retail franchises. Are you able to step in? Is there anything you could do when there's no customer? Yeah, well, then it's about, then it's about buying time. Then it's about trying to figure out if you can help these people pivot their business. It's an interesting, the short answer is yes. But it's like many things, it's more complicated. You know, what, what are their restrictions in terms of opening back up? Um, how much time do they really need? Um, can they pivot in some way? Um, so there's a combination of business analysts and some life coaching because they're under a ton of stress. Earlier. Um, but there is, there's a lot of stuff that can still, there's a lot of stuff that can still be done. I, I guess it is better to close down. I mean, ultimately, the way that I approach it, Charlie, is I'm completely unbiased. I'm not here looking for your business, you're the customer. I'm sitting here saying, based on my experience, here are the odds of you making it if you do the following things, if you don't, etc. I'm here to talk logic, especially when there is so much emotion that's flowing around. So short answer is yes, we can certainly help. You mentioned in our interview, you know, and, and, and looking at, at, at your business site that it, it has to do with the creditors and, and financing and that aspect. But what about the flip side? And here's where my bias comes in. What about marketing? What about all the things that grow businesses? Because right, right. It, how do, do you deal with that end of the business? We deal with it somewhat. We deal with it in terms of, you know, what's your budget? What do you want to spend your money on? Let's focus that money on revenue. Revenue is the ultimate fix, and revenue growth is what hides a lot of problems that now those problems are now uncovered because, you know, the revenue is is 
uh, falling down. It's like the, it's like the pond that nobody really, everybody dumps stuff into, but nobody ever really sees it. And then one day the pond is drained and you see all the junk at the bottom. So our goal is to improve your cash flow. Well, that's one of our goals. Improve your cash flow. Then with that extra cash flow, I want to make sure you're spending it wisely. I want to make sure you're spending it. I don't want you to be hoarding whatever cash you have because you're scared. And I don't want you to be spending it on things that don't have a material impact on revenue. So the revenue is a, is probably the, the, the number one thing that, that we want to see, uh, money reinvested into. And that's also coming back around to clients, businesses that do 500,000 in revenue. Simple math tells us that a 10% increase in revenue, we're fortunate, gets us to 550. Okay, it's nice. But a business that does $5 million gets a 10% bump up to $500,000. That's more significant. So one of the issues that we have is the, the companies that are smaller, the guys doing a half million dollars, a million dollars, it's hard to rely on revenue growth as a way of earning our way out. We almost have to take a longer-term plan, a 12-month or 24-month plan, to figure out how we're going to get to this time. Marketing is a strange beast because you could uh, have a very brilliant strategy and it could fail. It is it's not concrete. Now you can go research it, right. test it, or, you know, famous, uh, what do you call it? The new Pepsi, if you remember that old story yes, where, sure. you know, a hundred million dollars out the window. And they did it again with the, the polar, the polar bear can a few years ago. Another story. But yet without marketing, without being visible, without differentiating itself, without speaking to your audience, without a niche, it, of course, it depends on the business, but let's say a franchise, a retail uh, restaurant franchise, if they're not out there, then customers aren't coming. So how does that figure into your thinking? Uh, because when you think about it in terms of revenue, it's not finite that you could guarantee and say it's going to happen. It's, it's you're doing the best ability with your marketing people or your agency, but there's no 100% security to that or assurance to it. Uh, how do you calculate in, in, in your calculation? Well, let me, let me, let me take a different view of it. So the goal is, as you know, every business is unique. And, and during these COVID times, it's even more unique. Our businesses, uh, one restaurant in Los Angeles is different than one restaurant in Las Vegas. So we try to look at every situation as unique and figure out for that business owner, for that budget that they have, for the cash flow, for their creditor issues, what's the formula to buying time? So I come back to, again, simple concepts for myself. Part of it is buying time. And it might be that, and we've seen this with clients, we've got a, a client here in Los Angeles who's in the fitness business, health club business, small all of the comp, we immediately squeezed down all payments, creditors, the whole, we had a workout early, April, May timeframe, stretched his dollars. When it came time to open up again, guess what? He was the only guy opening up. He was the only guy opening up. Everybody else was gone because he was able to last and now he's able to raise prices in the same business. So it, it, the, the best answer I can give you, Charlie, is Look at every case. I spend an hour on the phone, even, even before they sign up. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I spend an hour with them on the phone. This was the business. I get my business understanding in line and then giving advice based off of that. And some of that is let's spend money on marketing this way. Hey, I can save you an extra 20 grand here. This is how you need to spend the 20 grand. And sometimes it's not. Listening to you and going back to what you said previously about being face to face, do you feel that you can translate your experience into a book and have it relevant that 
now just because of your experience, so that obviously uh, there are many, probably tens of thousands of companies today that your service would be of value, and obviously they're all not going to be able to have you as a guide. So have you ever thought about producing a book that could go further? You know, that's a really good idea. Um, somebody had mentioned that to me um, a year ago, pre-COVID, and okay, here are the 10 things I would suggest every business do. But there are a lot of books like that, and it, it didn't resonate with me. But now talking about it, what I can envision is more about, let me tell you about the unique stories and situations that we come across. Here's a restaurant. Here's a manufacturer. Here's a IT services. Let me talk you through the experiences with them that led us to success. Business experiences and personal psychological experiences. Then maybe that's a better way of. I can see that that would be a really good idea. Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm the process of putting together. Of course, on copywriting, a lot of people come to me, and I, 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 what I'm doing is I'm emerging them in campaigns. I'm going to tear apart campaigns. I want them to see the thinking behind it, not just the words, but understanding the zeitgeist of how that came about at that time, what the competition was. I sort of want to strip it bare from the inside, show them the architecture, so they can learn to think, like, and these are, are all Hall of Fame campaigns, how Hall of Fame is thought through a campaign. I could put down on paper, you know, you do this, do these are the rules, but you don't see it until you hear it from an actual experience and how it developed and get translated in your mind. And, and, and that, I mean, you also have the potential of doing videos or doing, uh, uh, TED conferences or things like that. I mean, obviously you, you have that type of an expertise. Is there a particular industry that I mean, let's talk about travel. Let's talk about hospitality. Uh, the small guy in travel, the small guy in, I don't know how to define small guy, but I'm thinking Hilton's not going to go out of business, I assume, and uh, Chris Carlton's not going out of business, but maybe the mom and pop media, motel uh, 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 chains and things like that. Do you think they're under great threat or, or? Oh my gosh. I think it's the greatest threat that small and medium sized businesses have probably ever seen. I wasn't around during the Great Depression. So I can't speak to that. But what's happening these days is that the small businesses, they're under siege for all the obvious reasons. But now, you know, look at your small restaurant. Small restaurant. I was talking to a restaurant owner this Saturday. Um, and they're, uh, it's a couple. They've got, like a lot of small restaurants, their life savings into business. This is for them. This is their 401k. This is their, how they're going to pay their bills. And we were talking about the issue with these food delivery businesses and the margin that they're getting, 30 to 35% of every order. Um, the fact that the driver that those services employ are subpar drivers so that the business owners are worried about the food from the time it leaves, the time it gets to the door. And they're working, the order tickets are essentially going down, shrinking their margin, but that's all they can get right now. So they're under siege from COVID, they're under siege from technology, they're under siege because people, everyday people, with the use of a phone, they're able to disconnect emotionally with those people, with that business. So, yeah, it's a tough, it's, it's, even without COVID, it's a tough time. That's why they say, what are they, you know, uh, uh, 19 out of 20 businesses fail in the first five years. That's during the good times. That's during the average time. Well, uh, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned, I, I have a phrase I use. Uh, startups come to me for marketing advice. So when I sit down and I talk to them, I usually start off pretty early and I say to them, so what do you, what do you think you're going to do the first year? How much do you think you'll walk away with? Seems a nice comfortable number today is a hundred thousand dollars. So I say, I say, well, <coughs> I think you're going to do a million dollars. 
So they're very happy to hear that. Their eyes glisten, their, their smile is from ear to ear because they figure I know something about business. And they ask me, why do I say that? I say, well, you assumed a hundred thousand. So I want to assume a million dollars. What's the difference? It's all assumption. Right, right. It's just an assumption. <laughs> and I think I said that's the worst word. I hate that word. If there's one word that should be canceled from the minds of human beings is assumptions. I think assumptions have let people into so many pitfalls that, 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 that is terrible. I said, before you dive in, research your competition, research what it takes, understand it well, because as we said before with that 4,000 mile trek, it's a long trek and, it, and, and don't go in blindly because you're assuming this and assuming that. You find that companies are still operating with a certain amount of assumptions. Yes. Yes. It- the only thing I, I can point it to, and, and you might know better than, than me, but entrepreneurs, we're such positive people. We're can-do people. That's why we jump in. We're almost naive in terms of how we approach it, going back to your, your story about 100,000. So that is still ingrained in the entrepreneurs. So I had, I had a, a business owner the other day uh, last month call me, and he had a foreclosure notice on his, on his commercial property from the bank. And he said, oh, I heard about you. I don't think I need your help. So why is he calling me? I don't think I need your help. But I got this foreclosure notice, but I assume the bank's going to work with me. No problem. You know, so I think everything should be fine. And I said, listen, you know, you don't know me from a hole in the wall, but I'm here to tell you that bank, imagine everybody's a Banks are not in the business of not getting paid. They're in the business of getting paid. So to make an assumption, that the bank, especially in these environments, is going to work with you, I think is a very bad assumption because you know, you're absolutely wrong. I'm scared. And now we're getting somewhere. You know, <laughs> I don't know if it's, it's a combination of the positive or it's also as a as a leader in my business, I'm always trying to instill confidence in people. I'm your leader. I got it. I'm your leader. I got it. I, you know, don't worry about it. But, you know, it's interesting. You bring up such a critical point. You brought up two points. One is the technology and how it's taking over and putting people out of business. The other one is that small people, small businesses of relative size, and I would call a small business even up to 10 million, maybe 20 million today, don't have the depth of research and marketing and, and knowledge to be able to have long-term vision the way the big companies try to have it. They don't always succeed, but at least they have the manpower. So they're really, I was, they're really in a weak position. And now you have COVID, which puts them into a weaker position. And then you have the aspect of the gaming theory, which is that human beings often make, you know, it's not the gaming theory. It's actually the rational thinking theory. You know, things small, things big, uh, things slow, things fast. But people make irrational decisions where they come into it. I am not a gambler. I have never had an interest in. In it, but I uh, was at Las Vegas con- convention, and we had a meeting. Uh, and you know, in Las Vegas, it's all over the tables because they want just to come in the South Bank. So I was observing the people at the roulette wheel, and I saw something that that was interesting. If you're losing, there's a certain degree of panic, and you want to get it back. So you're not thinking, uh, whatever the calculation is, I don't know, I don't understand it, but whatever it is. And if you're winning, you're excited, and the same thing happens. You yeah. are your own worst enemy. You have yes. to be really. And yes. I think in business, that's also true. In a sense, a small guy, unfortunately, for many ways, is his own worst enemy compiled by all the things around him. And, and, and it's sort of, you know, going back to what you said about the entrepreneur, so what is the future for small business in America? Yeah. yeah. I would just, what would you say if you were on the podium? There were, I, I, uh, I, I would say it's on the, it's on the verge of collapse. What I envision is this. Again, a simple concept. Who makes money in general during a recession? Read your article. Not the small guy. Not as individuals. I'm not talking about businesses. As individuals. Not the small guys. It's the rich guys. Right? Oh, they bought stocks when, uh, stocks were down 30%. They bought up a bunch, made a bunch of money. Uh, real estate prices fell. They bought up a bunch of homes and they rent them out. They made a bunch. The rich guys making the money. The poor guy 
falling farther behind, right? And so I think the same is true in business. What I envision, first of all, out there right now, there are a bunch of dead men walking business. They just don't know what to do with their lives. And they're just going to get up in the morning and do the same thing they did yesterday because they don't know what else to do. But eventually, a lot of them are going to get closed down. And then the ones that are still operating, Charlie, I believe, are going to be operating on behalf of or service of bigger businesses out there. So eventually, the small retail guy, the small restaurant, whatever, is going to be what we would view today as a modern-day laborer, the gardener. The electrician, right? Um, he's the guy doing the blue collar work for others who will pay. Are we headed then the way you're saying it to a, uh, we talk about how real the recession is, but it almost sounds like we're headed towards a depression. I don't, you know, I don't, I wonder how we're going to get the employment rate back down to a low level because these small businesses are going to disappear. Big businesses are going to take over more and more. Right? We're doing everything now by phone. We can order through Amazon. Who needs the small business anymore? Um, but then, what happens to those people? It's wonderful to be a, a patient, but what happens with everybody, half the people in the restaurant? What happens to half the people in the retail store? You know, it's like you hear about uh, supermarkets after working with that have no people. You walk in, you know, they scan who you are, you pick off whatever you want, they scan it, and you walk out. There's nobody there. So, anyways, Mike, number one, I definitely see a, uh, another dip in the economy coming. And number two, I just don't see how we're going to employ people the way we did. So is there room for the entrepreneur in the future of America? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there always is for somebody who is willing to put the time and effort and sacrifice. Absolutely. That is the, that is the thing. Even with all the red tape, even with all the issues, there's still these, the market still changes. You know, a business is a living, breathing, dynamic thing every day, never static. And as it, as it goes, ebbs and flows, there are pockets of opportunity for prepared to, to get involved. However, for the small guy, those opportunities are less and less and less. So I want to take a total flip side to everything we just said in the last 10 minutes. And I want to go based on what you said before. We're the can-do people. We are. I've said that many times. We got us to space. We got, you know. And what I think is potentially possible is that can-do spirit, which is Rife with assumptions, which doesn't have the clearest vision, which is going to trek 4,000 miles and go without food and water, but the drive and the ambition of the American spirit, and I'm not, uh, will make things happen. I think the same way we got across country with explorers and, and woodsmen and frontiersmen and pioneers, you know, I don't think that instinct left us. I just think that it's still there. And those people end up building businesses and hire other people. So in some way, I think, and, and this is an absolutely not based on anything forecast, we're going to come out of it with a with a new horizon, simply because, as you point, the people who survived will be stronger, they'll be wiser, they'll be more experienced, and they'll they'll forge ahead and created opportunities that perhaps we did like everybody says were new opportunities and make things happen in the American way. Boy, do I sound like Reagan? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah, I would like to think. Listen, I would like to think that's the case. I I, I tell my kids I've got two boys. Now they're not boys; they're nineteen and twenty. I would tell them when I was coaching them in sports or just as a dad. You'll always find people smarter. You'll always find people with more money. But there's the same number of hours in the day for everybody. And so that gives you an opportunity to out-hustle, out-work somebody. And so I think if somebody has that blue-collar, what I call blue-collar mentality, you only go through the grind, 
then I think there's an opportunity. I think there's also opportunity if you can find something for the small retail business, especially where you can connect with people. Because ultimately, everybody's in the people business. Yeah, some businesses are commodity-based pricing, but where you can find a human connection, it goes back to some other things we've said here today, then that's a way to that's a way to strengthen you. Uh, what advice, uh, final advice would you say to business people in trouble today? Well, number one, it's get rid of the fear. And I think part of that is, Charlie, you've got to communicate to somebody. We're talking about, um, I was talking earlier about a healing process, right? People, uh, lose their confidence, they get damaged a little bit. Sometimes the healing, I think you philosophical or new age, whatever, it just comes out in the verbalizing of it. So people have to remove the fear and people have to rely on logic. They have to understand, their brain is trying to fool them. So the logic of it, get in front of an Excel spreadsheet, write it down on a piece of paper, give it to your spouse, give it to your friend. Hey, what do you think of this? That's a great place to go. Okay. This has been a wonderful, insightful conversation with Joseph Hughes, a business GPS who's helped thousands of companies. Uh, and the website is businessgps.com. A business GPS, I'm sorry, businessgpsllc.com. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. And uh, you can also find him on the Bitbean CO Speak. Uh, blog, and you'll see contact over there as well. Uh, I don't know what to say. I think that you've had so much wisdom in terms of your experience that is so valuable that I, I, I think that I encourage you to find ways to spend that wisdom. The best I can say, I think that in today's time, people need to hear from someone like yourself. Yeah, I, I I appreciate the time. I appreciate the conversation. Okay, yeah. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. You Take too. Care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining Charlie Katz, our executive extraordinaire, in yet another insightful interview. Be sure to check out more stories from CEOs across the country at bitbean.com forward slash CEOs speak to learn more about what it takes to get to the top and stay there.